Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there, and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. I hope wherever you are, you're having a great Christmas week, and what better way to think about the festive season than to discuss Joseph Stalin and his ideas on architecture. Indeed, not just Stalin, but um, an entire generation of Stalinists from 1932 onwards, um, which is the year of a fundamental shift in um, ideas uh, about the the built environment in in the Soviet Union. Um, so the the way to start thinking about this is actually to think um, about um, the October Revolution itself. So the October Revolution was meant to be a break with the past, a new beginning, and the end of history. So it's three ideas that was encapsulated within um, Marxist dialectic um, and the eschatological ideas that Marx um, based his view of history on. So it was a revolution that was staged by um, a radical intelligentsia who believed that they had correctly interpreted the laws of history, the science of history, if you will, um, and that and that made it a kind of an unprecedented type of revolution. And so it, this presented specific philosophical and aesthetic challenges to the not just the revolutionaries, not just the Bolsheviks, but to the next generation, the Stalinists who followed them. So you can trace many of the um, dilemmas of modernization uh, in Russia back to Lenin and his 1902 um, treatise, What is to be Done, um, where he said that <coughs> Russia was essentially a, a, a backward peasant nation um, and that uh, some kind of historical shortcut was necessary to jolt Russia into the future. Um, Lenin believed that if you allowed a working class to develop in Russia, it might take up to a century for that to occur. So the normal um, course of um, history, um, as seen by Marx, um, phases of um, historical development, and, dif- uh, and, and different uh, phases of history based on um, economic relations. That couldn't be allowed to simply meander along in Russia. You needed to have a, a coup, um, a party that is, was the vanguard 
of the proletariat seize power and impose modernization on Russia. Um, the uh, modernization project um, would be carried out with uh, ideas of permanence. So the um, architecture that was to come after 1932 was to um, to really signify that this was um, a final phase of history, that no further aesthetic or cultural ideas were necessary because history had, in essence, was coming to an end. Socialism would be fulfilled, would be replaced by communism, and communism would be the last stage of, of human history. Um, and it, the notion of eternity was... Um, written into much of the, the architectural styles. Um, in 1937, um, the, uh, a, whole, a whole new central Moscow is created. And um, this is, was again seen as something that needed to be done once and, and never again. Um, Marxist-Leninism argued that aesthetics and architecture were determined by the material conditions prevalent in the society. So a bourgeois society would create one kind of architecture and a socialist society would create another. And um, now, and if the society was to remain fixed, if social relations to remain fixed under socialism and then communism, then nothing further needed to be, to be added. And the buildings of Soviet communism were, were made to endure. Now, the, the leading academic on this subject is a guy called Vladimir Paperny, who um, wrote uh, a book uh, called uh, Architecture in the, in the Age of Stalin, Culture 2. And the reason why it's called Culture 2 is Paperny said basically there are two different kinds of architectural style developing after 1917. Um, the constructivists, who were a flavour of the month temporarily from 1917, Till um, the mid 1920s, and then the Stalinists who emerge after 1928, and then who decisively um, take control of architecture thereafter. Constructivism was um, part of a wider movement of architectural modernism. It looks in, uh, remarkably similar to German Bauhaus and Italian Futurism. Um, it had um, fans uh, in the, amongst the likes of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright in America. He um, had strong relationships with the future uh, with the um, constructivists, and its core ideology and aesthetic was most closely linked um, to things like Bauhaus, um, and was quite alien from Stalinism. Um, constructivism comes before the revolution and was part of a kind of a wider European modernist movement and that but this kind of at its peak on the eve of the First World War. And constructivism um, was, as I said, modelled on uh, modernism and inspired by technology and the possibilities for new social reordering that, um, that technology, rationality and science could bring. Um, so the uh, constructivists looked into the future. It was a very uh, optimistic set of um, architectural beliefs, um, and it was um, um, based around the idea that technology would, you know, purify the human soul, purify the human condition, and that architecture could be part of that. The um, 
years just after the October Revolution was very exciting for the constructivists, therefore, and they got a brief window of opportunity to experiment with um, uh, modern styles of architecture. Um, there are all sorts of examples of constructivist architecture springing up from about 1919 onwards. And they um, assumed, they, I mean, most of them broadly approved of the new regime. They were happy with a regime that could sweep away the past. They were happy with a regime that could um, uh, get rid of what they viewed to be social anachronisms. And they assumed that these feelings were reciprocated. Um, uh, Eric Hobsbawm, uh, in uh, his book Fractured Times, says that this isn't really the case. Um, that the uh, constructivists admired the Bolsheviks, but the Bolsheviks were not very keen on the constructivists. The Bolsheviks, I mean, principally people like um, Lenin, saw um, the constructivists as, as quite, quite dangerous characters. They were, Lenin wanted obviously a social revolution, but whether he wanted a cultural one is a different question altogether. Lenin um, and his cultural commissar Anatoly Lunacharsky uh, were um, men of the 19th century. They were kind of good, respectable bourgeois. They had uh, listened to um, classical music and grown up reading um, everyone from Victor Hugo to Dostoevsky. And they were men really grounded in the culture of, of the 19th century. And they did not, um, They what they thought was that high bourgeois culture simply needed to be democratised. You know, you make better people by making sure that the working man can read Dickens and that the uh, labouring poor can see opera. Um, you know, this is subsequently proven to be far more complex and far more difficult process but he didn't uh, but lenin had did not believe that the uh, the past should be swept away in this way hobsbawm he meant he said that lenin was uh, by 1920 fishing around to see if there were uh, any reliable anti-futurists so if he they could find architects or uh, cultural um, engineers um, who were who didn't have futurist or constructivist ideas. Interestingly, I mean, considering that people like Lenin and Lunacharsky were meant to um, be appreciators of um, the, the bourgeois past, uh, it is ironic, really, that um, the between 1917 and 1952, really, the uh, nobility was destroyed uh, along with 90% of Russian stately homes, countless libraries, antiques, paintings, sculptures, and tens of thousands of artisans, craftsmen, musicians, composers, curators, translators, and academics. And the, the entire uh, infrastructure, the entire kind of ecosystem of uh, 19th century cultural creation is wiped out in, in Russia. Um, and far from you know, far from democratizing the Tsarist palaces, you have places um, that palaces um, such as the Trebetskoy uh, Palace that have you know concrete poured um, into you know ballrooms and things like that to turn them into um, classrooms for the workers and that kind of thing. So it was a great of cultural destruction at the same time.
Stalinist architecture was very much focused on the development of the public space, and this was for a number of reasons. Firstly, um, private space was incredibly uh, rare. Um, the uh, Stalinist um, uh, five-year plans had seen uh, hundreds of thousands of workers flock to the cities, and no uh, organised um, house-building programme or apartment-building programme to accommodate them. So um, houses that were cramped become even more cramped. And I, I did a a, um, a uh, podcast on this a while back uh, about housing shortages and, and, and hunger during the first five-year plan. And it, it, it suited the regime to have lots of families crammed in together because then they could all keep an eye on one another and perhaps denounce and inform on one another. And the Soviet re- Stalinist regime was very suspicious of private space in the first place. Um, the, the question was, well, you know, what are you doing at home? What are you thinking about writing and talking about at home uh, that you wouldn't want to do in public? Um the therefore large shared spaces, particularly places like the Moscow Underground, uh, which is one of the great architectural and aesthetic achievements of Stalinism, become heavily promoted. Uh, it is um, a, a place not just to catch the tube train, but simply to be. Um, if you've ever had the fortune, uh, the the good luck to go to Moscow and go on the underground, you'll find that it is like walking into the Palace of Versailles. There are chandeliers, uh, carvings and woodwork, and, and it, is, it is simply beautiful. Um, and the reason um, why it is like this was that it was... Um, the um, Stalinist regime believed that if you could take the um, high culture of the Tsarist palaces and make this public so that all people could have access to it, then you start to generate a kind of a, a better class, a better standard of citizen. And there were all um, also numerous palaces um, uh, of the Soviets, numerous um, huge public space, public buildings um, designed for education and culture and recreation. And they followed a, a kind of a, an interesting mishmash of uh, archi- architectural styles. Um, th- uh, they look, to some extent, neoclassical, but they're not. They encounter, they, they combine all manner of um, ancient and uh, medieval and modern styles. Uh, and it was a way of saying that really um soviet communism was the culmination of all the um previous human history all previous human culture um as articulated through architecture uh, had now been incorporated in into this this one uh, historical moment of course uh, nazi germany embraces neoclassicism and it embraces neoclassicism because it's a way of saying look here we are we are the next articulation of rome itself and you know uh, fascist italy did the same and it was a clear nod towards the 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 past but stalinism does something really quite different and um isn't can't be described as neoclassical at all and of course um russia had for centuries been the great borrower from the west when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Peter the Great had founded um, Petersburg, St. Petersburg, modeling it on uh, cities like uh, Stockholm and Vienna and making it um, a, a modern gateway to the West. And, and this was not a, a, a new uh, practice by the time the, the Bolsheviks came to power. And there was good reason as well for Lenin wanting to borrow from abroad, because he had a kind of a genuine, it would appear, antipathy, if not loathing, for the the bulk of the Russian population, i.e. the um, the Russian peasantry. Uh, Lenin, he said, you know, the true Russian person, the uh, the great Russian chauvinist, is essentially a scoundrel and a rapist. Um, and he referred to the ordinary Russian as a, as a sea of chauvinistic Russian trash. Uh, and obviously, in this case, a, a new culture needed to be uh, imposed and a, and a new uh, public architectural culture needed to be imposed because you couldn't expect it if you, if you had these views to emerge from ordinary Russian people. During the heyday of the constructivists, uh, during that period of, of, of culture one, um, Paperni says basically um, during the period of culture one, it's the period where before the five-year plan, so the it's a period of time when the Trotsky's ideas of permanent revolution are up in the air and the idea of, of um, a radical militant modernism of uh, sweeping away the past um, during that period of time, the constructivists come, um, come out with all manner of uh, interesting and quite extreme um, uh, social um, engineering ideas, particularly when it came to the workforce. Um, there was a, a uh, hope that, and, and the various attempts to force workers to live uh, in barracks to see the nuclear family destroyed because it's the hub of bourgeois society, and um, the uh, men and women to live in separate barracks and for there to be kind of a, 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 a child, a children's kind of creche, uh, in which uh, children would be raised almost industrially. Um, this doesn't survive into Stalinism. Um, Stalin, uh, Stalinist attitudes towards the family are far more kind of conservative with a small c, um, and the constructivists hoped that they would see um, the destruction of the private sphere because they believed this, this to be a thing of the past and to be um, a part of uh, the, the, uh, the thing that would hold back the development of the 20th century itself. Um, and this it was a, a kind of an idea 
um, that was embraced across um, the um, avant-garde um, and there was a kind of a strong desire for collectivism um, normally from um, intellectuals and um, cultural um, engineers who would not have had to experience it um, or experience um, it um, in its rawest form. Um, Vladimir Kuzmin, for example, said that the proletariat should waste no time in destroying the family as an organ of oppression and exploitation. And these ideas were then uh, incorporated into uh, the journal Sovremenia Architectura, which said that individuals should be stripped of any other role than, um, than that of worker, uh, they should sleep communally, and that man constantly works even when he's sleeping. So, you know, even when uh, a worker is asleep, he is working because his body is charging itself up for more work. Um, which, I know there isn't time in this podcast, but there raises up some fascinating questions ab um, about the relationship between the regime and the notion of work and what they believe work was for and what it did and why we did it. Again, there is there are some fascinating um, ideas that the Nazis had I say fascinating, fascinating in a dark and uh, curious way. Um, there are uh, some uh, interesting avenues to go down there examining what the Nazis viewed as being the meaning of work. And it's curious that actually um, Culture 1 dies out right at the time when Culture 2, which doesn't embrace these collectivist ideas about the accommodation of workers particularly, um, uh, the, the Culture 1 dies out at a time when uh, mass labour becomes vital to the state and more important to the state than any other time in Russian history. I suppose that... Um, under Stalinism, the state does have all sorts of different experiments in communal living, but normally involving a gulag. It looks in general as if the constructivists um, by 1932 um, had kind of got ahead of themselves. Um, the Stalinists um, thought that these avant-gardists had become overambitious. They had tried to bring about changes in Russia independently of the party, which probably wasn't really the case, and at a pace that the party was uncomfortable with. Um, and this was um, threatening and challenging and generally unwarranted. And the, um, uh, the Central Committee in 1932 said that Stalinism was by its nature a cautious and gradualist uh, um, phenomena um, and could be undermined by the pace of economic and social change brought about by the collectivization and five-year plans. Many of the major gains were made by the constructivists um, during and after the Civil War era. Um, you have um, constructivists uh, being given uh, roles within government um, they were um, given major new um, ma major new awards and contests. They won contests um, to uh, build uh, new works after the Civil War. Um, people such as Vladimir Tatlin, uh, the Vesnin brothers, um, were embraced by the regime for seemingly good reasons. I.e., that you know the task of building a a modern uh, society seemed kind of well suited 
to um, the new um, constructivist intellectuals um, who would be able to um, create a sort of a, a modern uh, rational uh, society. But the constructivists always did things that the Bolsheviks felt kind of unfamiliar and uncomfortable with, um, such as you know uh, creating designs for buildings that could be uh, disassembled and, and moved and rebuilt, um, which was considered to be physically impractical, but also ideologically alarming, the idea that um, the physical geography of a country could be constantly changing and, uh, and shifting. Um, the uh, constructivists, particularly the Vesnin brothers um, and um, foreign architects who were sympathetic to the regime, such as Le Corbusier, uh, became worried when the shift away from constructivism began. What normally happened in um, the Soviet Union is when a particular novelist or architect or poet fell out of favour, they wouldn't hear directly from Stalin or from the regime, but they would read about it in the newspapers, articles, letters, uh, and um, would be circulated and um, there would be a, a general sense uh, from the kind of the editorial columns of things like Pravda that somebody was out of favour. Part of the problem that the constructivists had is uh, identified by the art historian Boris Groys, who says that it does not seem like an extreme simplification to define uh, it, the constructivist's basic spirit in terms of the demand that art move from representing the world to transforming it. And that's precisely what the Bolsheviks didn't want. The Bolsheviks and later the Stalinists wanted to do the transforming themselves and they wanted art uh, or architecture simply to do the representing. Stalinist uh, socialist realism is all about representing a certain version of um, social reality. It is about representing uh, the uh, socialist construction and class struggle. And um, it's not about, in the views of Stalin, about actually you know, making the changes, the artists making changes to society themselves. In 1932, Stalin said that uh, the destruction, really, of the avant-garde in architecture was uh, an attempt to end the factional strife on the artistic and cultural front. And the um, interesting use of the language front implied that art and architecture were used as a part of uh, a struggle or battle. So these were weapons in a war. Um, and the five-year plans um, were part of the renewal of this struggle. And so as, this str as the, you know, Stalin believed that class struggle intensified um, during the first five-year plan, it had really been kind of gone off track with the, the NEP, and now architecture needed to be used as a tool to mobilise the masses, um, and so architecture needed to be sort of sub and and all other kinds of art, in point of fact, needed to be subsumed to the needs of the regime. And the thing that was difficult for the constructivists to swallow was the fact that 1917. Um, the um, October Revolution didn't offer them the limitless possibilities that they had wanted, the kinds of limitless possibilities that maybe all artists really se secretly or not so secretly want. Instead, they were in a, a one-party state that um, was quite prepared 
to use the instruments of the state, indeed physical force if necessary, to subsume um, art and culture and architecture to the needs of the state. Plenty of members of the avant-garde eventually um, accept this, some uh, more readily than others. Many see the writing on the wall and realise it is foolish to, to resist. And what Stalin appears to have been waging almost is a, a battle to conquer culture. Um, very much like the, the war that the Bolsheviks, the, the Stalinists, I beg your pardon, wage uh, against the natural world itself. Um, that it was a kind of a, an untamed beast that must be harnessed and captured for the for the the good and the needs of of mankind. So you wind up with a, a curious paradox, really. By the time the um, constructivists had been crushed, uh, the idea that prevails in Russia is one that doesn't readily um, present itself to uh, as a kind of a, a Marxist concept. The um, original idea of bourgeois culture was uh, that uh, the constructivists um, put forward their architectural idea was that because cultural ideas stem from economic realities, that the cultural ideas of the bourgeoisie needed to be rooted out because of either that or if you don't, you simply get a replication of bourgeois society, event you know hidden at first, but it will eventually reveal itself and take over. So, to complete the revolution, you needed to carry out a cultural revolution and sweep away the stuff of the past. Lenin didn't actually think that. Um, Stalin didn't actually appear to think that. They both be believed. This is fairly contrary to uh, Marxist doctrines. That culture was a thing that was kind of divorced from its social and political and historical realities. In fact, it was just this, just this free-floating kind of good um, that could be harnessed now um, to democratize, to be democratized for the good of all people, um, and to help them kind of grow and develop and and be kind of less like the barbarians that Lenin had had envisaged in 1920. At a Politburo meeting, Lenin uh, wrote a note to himself. He said, Not the invention of a new proletarian culture, but the development of the best models, traditions and results of the existing culture from the point of view of the Marxist world outlook and the conditions of life and struggle of the proletariat in the period of its dictatorship. OK, so I'll I'll leave you on, on that thought, uh, but uh, I'll be... Before, between now and the end of the year, in the next week or so, I'll be doing my roundup of the best books of 2015, and there have been some great ones. And it just remains for me to say thanks very much. Guys, we hit the 70,000 mark the other day. Now 70,000 Explaining History subscribers. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So thank you all. I am insanely grateful. And I hope you enjoy this podcast and have a lovely Christmas and a happy new year. All the best. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 